Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations. We are back to talk about the much-anticipated The Lost Metal. I'm so excited. Book number four in Era 2, what an experience. It was perhaps everything that a individual like myself, a super nerd, if you will, I believe that's the French terminology, but someone who is just completely enmeshed in the Cosmere seems like that was the audience Brandon was throwing for. He was definitely this was sort of like the book we've all been waiting for in many respects. And so we're going to go through our favorite aspects of the book, some rough cuts that we had and look at the different characters. This is going to be a broad overview of the Lost Metal, while we also have long-term plans for individual episode breakdowns. Yes, you know us, you know we're going to do a bunch of deep dives for today. We're just going to do a little bit of everything. It's kind of off the cuff, but we also have 10 pages of notes. <laughs> I would love to start by revisiting our predictions. We did an episode on our Patreon, which is publicly available. So if you would like to listen to it, you can go to our Patreon and listen to this episode. Or if you just need evidence that we actually said these things. Yeah, yeah, proof. Because we did an episode all about our predictions, which was really fun. Then as I was reading this book, I was like, oh, yes, got that right. Got that right. Got that right. You were able to say that. I was not. My predictions <laughs> may have been a little bit more out there. Mine were mostly correct. I'm very proud. So anyone is able to go and check out the Patreon and get that one specific episode. And if you want more of this nonsense and hashtag all spoilers all the time, come join us on the Patreon. Yeah. It's great. Supposedly there are many bonus episodes, but they're very long. <laughs> so if you just need more of our ramblings, there's where you can get it. Right now, let's just go through some of the predictions we made and then how those turned out in the Lost Metal. We didn't really come down on a side in terms of whether or not we thought that Wax was going to die. We sort of went back and forth, like, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Uh, obviously, we know how this turned out. He did not die. So I'm not going to say that this was right or wrong, because we didn't we didn't nail ourselves down on this one. That's very generous of you. I think I was more in the Wax dying fan club, but not actually a fan. <laughs> uh, I... Felt like that was a real possible end. Of course, we yeah. got a main character death yes. in Wayne. And so the other half of that coin was, you know, seemingly filling that role. But Wax himself alive at the end of the Lost Metal. Who knows? I feel like there's which more in store for Wax, which is a weird place to leave him. But I let's don't not, think so. Let's not get too crazy. Okay, okay. No more predictions within our predictions. We cannot... <laughs> Can't add predictions on top of our predictions. <laughs> okay, next, we speculated about Wax having a baby. I said yes. I thought he and Steris were going to have a baby. They did. In fact, Not they had one. two. Yes, two little kiddos in the six-year time gap. And I think Max, or Maximilian, 
is three years old? No, he's five. Okay, so like they, they got busy really soon after Bands of Mourning. Which, good on them. I'm glad. They needed a little break. Okay, so Wax definitely has children. That line is going to continue. And we saw in book, little Max, definitely a fan of flying around with his dad. Yes. And so that's a kind of question of like, will the lineage of Wax and Steris either Max and his little baby sister or one of their offspring you know even further down the road i don't know how far the yeah, they're gap too, is they're too young for us to really know if they have powers if they are twin born if they only have you know one power or another so that will be interesting to pick back up on in the next era one of the things that i believe i said is that harmony might leave the system or or distance himself remove himself from the situation because we talk so much about how harmony is a problem and i think that part bore out but this concept yeah. of him removing himself from the system definitely did not definitely happen. did not happen he doesn't seem to be following that line of thinking says although he recognizes that there are problems with his power seems to feel like he can still be the god that Scadriel needs. Yeah, the line so. that he keeps using more than once is, I've got a hand on it. Like, it's all good. Yeah. This is handled. And he almost doubles down at the very end in his conversation with Kelsier, which might be its own episode. That one's jam-packed of Cosmere stuff. But he doubles down on the concept of considering being more involved in the lives of the Skadrian people. So almost the opposite. Yeah, so we were definitely wrong on that one. We also talked a little bit just about like something being wrong with Harmony or having a big reveal that like Harmony is actually bad. We didn't get like full confirmation of that. We did get some hints in the affirmative with Harmony's dark shadow following him, which I think is Discord. It's the sort of other side of the moon, so to speak, the other mm -hmm. side of the Harmony coin that may be starting to come out to play. But I also put that one in the neutral category because it wasn't like fully confirmed. Yeah, he's definitely not bad, but there is but there a... is definitely something wrong. And we can speculate further on what this is, but his shadow... Yeah, uh, is kind of how we will phrase it right now. It could be Discord. That's not confirmed. But it is definitely confirmed as Zazed Shadow or Harmony Shadow. Yeah. Let's go on some things that we got right, though, because you were just nailing them out of the park. I want to take you down to Las Vegas and just have you predict <laughs> things because you were just hitting tees. As long as if we're gambling Cosmere on Cosmere things, things. Yes, I will win. Obviously, Steris, total MVP, that was my prediction. She basically single-handedly evacuates the entire city, and it was just so great to see her step up and to be an MVP on a bigger scale. Mm. Like, she's been an MVP amidst, yeah, her little circle. It was really gratifying to see her get recognition from a bunch of other people, too. Absolutely. And she leaves us in a position of power within the city government. Yeah. Exactly where she belongs. And I think that Steris throughout the book was 
more left behind in some ways physically yes from the rest of the group but still was able to carry that role and like it's serve almost her like because she was left behind she was actually able to rise more capable yes yeah I love that. because she wasn't sort of constantly being like talked over by everybody else you know her group is sort of this big cacophony of people with a lot of strong opinions and strong actions and serious by nature just steps back in that sort of scenario because she was left on her own she was able to really shine and boy did she i loved asteris in this book maybe one of my favorite characters but each of the four main ones had great arcs over yeah over the course of the four books i really like steris's arc steris and marasi actually mm-hmm. i think over the four books maybe have the strongest just straight character arcs in terms of growth and continuity. Let's Speaking talk a little bit about Marasi. Exactly. We had lots of predictions about Marasi and I was so excited about this. I predicted that the group that was going to recruit her was the Ghostbloods. It was what? And then I also predicted that Marasi would gain power in some way, perhaps becoming the governor or the chief of police. And to be technical, she only became ambassador of the Ellendale Basin and to the Malwish. Yes, but she clearly expressed her desires to become governor. Yes, it's and kind of her secret desire, but that's definitely what she's planning on and is like making the steps to give her the experience to eventually be governor. Yeah. And I know that she turns down the ghost bloods, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be surprised if far in the future of the Cosmere, we see her again as some type of world hopper, whether on her own or with a different organization or with the ghost bloods. I could see her eventually saying yes. Yeah. And not to get too far off track, but the reason that she says no to the ghost bloods is because she sees herself as a servant of the people and that she can't put the Ghostbloods rules and Kelsier regulations above the will of the people. And she has well, to be a servant. Well, and the secrecy. Yes, She was secrecy. like, you had all of this information. You could have helped people and you didn't. Right. And I'm not down with the secrecy. So to your point, if she gets to a place in her life, maybe, you know, way after being governor and being a successful governor, her opinion might change on those secrets because she's like, mm. I can't do anymore. I can't be reelected as governor. There's nowhere else in this world for me to keep advancing. And so now is the time to join the Ghost Bloods. I would love kind of like Twinsel, but I would love old people joining the Ghost Bloods, not just the young recruits as well. <laughs> but speaking of the Ghost Bloods and Kelsier specifically, I said that Steris would have the longest conversation with Kelsier, Thydekar, that was wrong. No. It was Marasi by yeah. far. <laughs> Many conversations, including ending her final epilogue yeah. speaking to Kelsier. And that's the rejection scene. Yep. So that one was wrong. I predicted that there would be a classic last minute race to defuse the bomb. And there was, I would say. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's the most last minute race to defuse the bomb. Yeah. I believe you did say that Wax would solve that. Obviously, and I'm going to take issue with it because it was all Wayne <laughs> all the time. Well, to be fair, there were a few different last minute races to defuse the bomb. We'll talk about we'll that. We'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a <laughs> hot take. And we are going to just 
move right over that hot take into another time when I was wrong, (laughs) saying that there would be a mid-book climax. This was more of just a speculation about what could happen, but a time jump or a mid-book climax that was changing the entire situation did not happen. Did not happen. And so I think that Brandon did kind of deal with some of these by having a longer a longer than expected time jump to begin the book. Sure. So six years yeah. was maybe a little bit longer than I was expecting to jump between books. Yeah. And there certainly was no other climax in the middle of the book. So wrong there again. You, however, did predict the creation of aluminum via electrolysis. And that hasn't really reached mainstream on Skadrill as of yet, but it is talked about a few different times. So I'm going to give you that one. Great prediction. Not only did I say that aluminum would be made with electrolysis, but Kelsier, or maybe it was Moonlight in the Ghostbloods, said that about half of all of the aluminum on Skadrill or like in the economy and in the marketplace was made by them via... I knew you were going to love that Cosmere Economy call out. We need to get the economy back up and running. There's too many things that are, you know, preventing the sweet, sweet Cosmere Economy from flowing. And we got to get that spice. I mean, metals. I mean, investiture to flow around the Cosmere. The Ghostbloods are working on it, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Let's also look at kind of where I thought this was going and maybe like Mm -hmm. who would be doing the inventions via electricity uh, was... Miss Tarxell. Yes. And I imagined a role for her that was significantly larger, either seeing her inventions all around or having like direct plot applications. Yeah. I mean, we do see her inventions around, but it's sort of the opposite of what you were guessing, which was a continued rise of Sophie Tarxell. And instead, what happened is what would happen in the real world, which is that a bunch of other companies and inventors take her discoveries and inventions and build on them and enter the market themselves and offer competition in that sphere. So I think, obviously, her contributions are important, but she may just go down in history as like, ah, the inventor of blah, 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 and not necessarily like an Elon Musk situation. Yeah. Funny that you would say Elon. I was, of course, imagining Varric from Varric Industries. (laughs) Of course. And Wayne being... The Julie in that equation, just for the record, just full disclosure for everyone. It's so appropriate that an actually incredibly intelligent inventor as a woman would be compared to the complete buffoon of a male inventor. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we're shots fired at Mr. Varric of Varric Industries. Him and Julie created many great inventions. We're not going to go into a Cora... (laughs) Spoiler podcast. That's too much for us to do within this one podcast. Can't do that. However, I do want to go to another piece of media, which is I predicted that Wayne would become Batman. And I'm going to say that I was right on this. I know you're calling this one hard. Uh, Yeah, because he is uh, philanthropic. He has tons of money. He's very, very rich and is sort of mysterious in the way that he gives money away. He also 
fights crime. And then he is also referred to many times as Master Wayne. So I'm going to say he is Batman. I can't argue with it because of the last point. The I know. Master Wayne point is too much of a Every coincidence. Every time someone says that, all I can hear is Alfred's voice. As you should. Let's be honest. That's exactly what I think Brandon was going for. It is, in my opinion, we would have to then go into a Batman breakdown podcast because <laughs> oh I don't think that Batman is near as involved with the community Ugh, or the society as Wayne is. I do. We are all bad people. But I think that Wayne is actually more philanthropic more involved with the community he's inventing sports let's talk about some more things that you got wrong oh excellent (laughs) this is perfect because i said that an invested weapon you made a a bold call the later it got in the podcast the bolder my predictions became you really swung for the more wrong they became yeah uh, so i said that there was going to be some type of invested weapon mainly naz's knife they would have an important role to play in the plot and story. Absolutely no mention of Nas's life, invested weapons, not even in like the... Nothing even close. So completely wrong <laughs> once again. Tyler, like 0 for 10 right now. Brooke, <laughs> No, you got one. You Thank had one. You. Yeah. Oh, and then we had a bonus. This was not in our predictions episode, but it is taken from our musings and our trellism episode. We sort of talked about the original origins of trellism and trellagism on Scadrial, and we got this quote to confirm that our suspicions were correct. Quote, Trellism is the remnants of an ancient religion on your world, originally founded by autonomy long, long ago, a seed for when she decided to move in. Now that time has come. Autonomy is looking for someone on this planet to fully take up that role, that identity, end quote. So yes, trellogism was always from autonomy, even way, 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 way back in the day. Those are our predictions Let us know if you had predictions that were either correct or incorrect on all of your social medias. We got the Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, and of course, everyone's favorite Patreon. Let's now segue into our favorite things. Those were our predictions. They're not necessarily our favorite aspects of the book. What was your favorite moment, favorite quote, or favorite character from The Lost Metal? I had a few different things that I really loved. The biggest thing that stood out to me is how many female characters were either supporting characters or main characters in this book. It is absolutely far and away the most female characters in any Cosmere book and maybe even in the Skyward series. I think there's more women in that one, but this might even be more. Almost every single time a new supporting character is introduced, it's a woman, which was just really awesome to see. Because in a lot of Brandon's books, you have Mm -hmm. a female protagonist or two, but she is still living in a world that is entirely male and like doesn't have any female friends basically to talk to. (laughs) Mistborn era one being the key example. Is the worst, but think about every other book. Elantris, you have Serene Mm -hmm. and Serene. It's just her and a bunch of dudes. Even in Stormlight Archive, you have a lot of really cool women that I love that I've talked about. You've got Navani, you've got Shalon as, you know, really main characters. Yasna also, who's going to play a big part. 
but the scenes where they actually interact with each other are very, very few and far between. So this was definitely uh, a step forward, in my opinion, uh, in terms of gender balance in the books. We have the vice governor, who's a woman. We get introduced to the Bilming police chief, who's a woman. The journalist that they meet, her name's Moraga, is female. Of course, we have Moonlight. And then we have Armal, who is one of the uh, bunker people <laughs> that ends up being super powerful and helping Marasi. And then obviously, we have our usual Marasi and Steris. A whole cast of characters that really does turn Era 1's... I mean, it makes Era 1 look worse in retrospect, but I think that a conversation you and I had off mic was about how Vin's ascension and Vin's role in Era 1 actually completely changed the society and the culture of Era 2 so that it doesn't actually look like anything from the rest of the Cosmere or look like our own world, which is patriarchal and male-driven, where Vin's role as the ascendant warrior really did change the equation. It definitely helps and sort of broadens the scope of what is deemed appropriate mm -hmm. for women. However, we still see the struggles that they have in this world with Marasi sort of being looked at askance in the constabulary and things like that. After Marasi joins the constabulary and has some success, she says in this book, a bunch of other women have now joined. So even though Vin's ascension allowed more space, I think we still see them struggling with patriarchy. Absolutely. I'm not saying it is a completely different world, and there definitely are struggles. As you said, it took Marasi to really open up the the door for other women to follow her into police work. But I think that concept of making space is really important because Vin, being Vin, was able to create so much space. You know, she she just went misborn on all of the society that existed. In and a so way, the space it was, was easier there. for Vin because their society, they did have misborns and they were so were focused female. on power that yes. any person who was a misborn or even any person who had allomantic powers was elevated, right? The basis of power in their society was more based on your metallurgic powers mm -hmm. versus your gender. Whereas in era two, when you don't have that, like, yes, your allomantic power will make you more desirable or a little bit more powerful. But I think there are also almost more confined by gender in era two because of that fact. That's a really interesting take on power and the gender dynamics. I think there's a lot more that we can explore in just like yeah. the culture and society of era two. And so I don't want to get too far into that train For of thought. Sure. Let's go over... What was one of your favorite things? Well, I think that easily my favorite thing is the conclusion of the stories of Wax and Wayne. I thought that from beginning of Era 2 to end of Era 2, there is a great bit of character writing and 
emotion and feeling around both of these individuals. It is the story of the Gang of Four, but that begins with Wax and Wayne, and I think that the conclusion for each of them works. I feel happy and like satisfied with the story of Wax and Wayne, and I will segue that aspect of my favoritism (laughs) into a, a rough cut a little bit later. But in short, I really loved what we saw from the beginning of Era 2 to the end of Era 2 when it comes to the characters of Wax and Wayne. What about you? What's another favorite aspect? Well, to sort of piggyback off my last one, obviously, we know I love Steris. I loved her even more in this book. And I even had a few moments when I was like, oh, my gosh, is Steris me? (laughs) First, she talked about like all of her many notebooks and planners of which I also have probably too many. And I was like, I identify with this. I just need to write everything down to manage the anxiety that lives in my brain. And Steris had this to say about a little bit of her character growth and kind of realizing that she is a little bit different than many of the people around her. Quote, They didn't have a constant hovering worry in the back of their brain, whispering they'd forgotten something important. They didn't spend hours thinking about the mistakes they'd made and how they could have planned better, end quote. And this is my brain. I also, when I read this quote, was like, wait, do people not have that? Is that not a normal thing for me? Is that not a normal thing? (laughs) Whoops. Steris, as always, is our number one MVP truly shining in The Lost Metal. I think that plays right into another one of my favorite thing and and kind of hinting back at what you said before about the way that the new characters and our old characters interact Mm. is really what I liked. I like that Mm -hmm. we got scenes with Marassi and the Ghostbloods and all of those Ghostbloods are new, you know, minus Kelsey. Yeah. Those are all new characters. We get Steris with the government of Elendel. And I really found myself enjoying those different discoveries as Steris is discovering them Mm -hmm. as well. I know Steris and I know what you just said about her. I know that bit of her personality, but then it's how it's going to clash and interact with new people. And that's what I thought the Lost Metal did really great it took the thing that i knew in our gang of four and then put them in new situations yeah and most of the time i thought it worked really well and steris is just like the easiest example i loved feeling that pressure of the governor is kind of a idiot politician put forward pretty boy type of thing but doesn't know what's going on and the vice governor is the really shrewd yeah a dick cheney-esque you know the vice president who's really the president type of thing but when it came down to it the governor you know showed their true colors Mm -hmm. by staying and investing trusting in steris and the vice governor peaced out and was like the first to leave and so that reveal was just interesting to me and I, i love the way the characters got to play with new characters. Yeah, and Steris kind of sees something in him that no one else has and shows him that he can be great. And then he does the same with her. Mm -hmm. He sees the strength and the benefit 
of her specific talents and like shows her that she also can be great. And so, yeah, like you said, these new relationships were really interesting and I think really well done. They felt really smoothly integrated, which is not always the case. Absolutely. My last favorite thing is just something that was so fun. (laughs) Wayne funding the beginning of organized sports in Ellendale was just chef's kiss. (laughs) I love that this came from the fact that, quote, the city needs a way to become drunken in a proper and controlled manner, end quote. And I love all of his musings on why bars exist. Quote, it is a controlled environment in which to drink. People are going to seek to partake in spirits, you see, and it is better for society that we plan for this, end quote. And his description of all of organized sports, quote, we must allow rage to be experienced in a similar way to drunkenness with a controlled outlet with someone for everyone to dislike, end quote. It's just perfect. I actually thought that this was a great example of Marassi's influence on Wayne because now they've had this partnership for over six years. Marassi is always thinking about that big picture and how does society influence. But Wayne clearly has the ability to like intuit that about people and groups of people. We see him in the bar scene in, I think, book two uh, when he's mixing drinks for everyone. Yeah, But this is like the next level up and i feel like he got to the next level by learning from marasi and like understanding these things because he's pitching the each octant will have a different team we'll have a team yeah and they will compete against each other and you'll get this rivalry that develops that's healthy and allows for rage to be channeled appropriately so that it doesn't get channeled at like destroying society and burning everything down which is a vibe that we got from a lot of the, uh, you know, Miles Hundred Lives and other individuals yeah. <laughs> from the set. So it's just seeming like a, a perfect blend of these characters, an alloy, if I you will. I love that. I love that. Okay, we talked about all the things that we loved. What is maybe a rough cut? I want to prepare everyone for this because it felt like this book, in many respects, was written for me. If I could give a perfect summary of what I would want out of the lost metal, this would almost be it. Really? It has so much of everything that I loved. And here's the part where everyone needs to be prepared for what I'm about to say. It's also not very good. Yeah. I think that this I think this is one of those places where creators in any realm, Mm -hmm. nowadays we are so connected between creator and audience, it becomes very easy easy or much easier for a creator to give their audience exactly what they want. However, that's not what that's they need. not always what's best for them. Yes, the creator has to be the parent um, and kind of like know when the audience's ideas are good and when they are bad. And the creator needs to have a handle on telling the story that they want to tell and like not necessarily diving all in to fan service. And I completely agree with you. And I've heard this from some people on the internet as well. While this was like all of the Cosmere tie-ins that we have been waiting for, it was like maybe too much. Mm. I I don't know if it was necessarily too much, but it just feels clunky. 
the writing yes. in the book and the way that the story plays out does not feel smooth or organic and i'm yeah. gonna keep like throwing these words around because i'm not an author and i don't know enough to like say exactly what it is that i'm missing out on but i was excited to eat it maybe like uh you know a big bowl of ice cream but then not really satisfied as i was consuming <laughs> it, it all exactly <laughs> and i just had this feeling of the lost metal not flowing yeah. as well as other books outside of era two but then also yeah. even comparing it to other books within era two mm -hmm. there was an aspect of and again this is just a term i'm making up because i don't understand words at all outline e the book felt like an outline like there were key plot points and key cosmere points that needed to be hit and we just kind of jumped from each of those things to the next. Yeah, I felt that. And I felt that a lot. It felt like there was a lot of exposition that was being given very unsubtly for like a really long time for many chapters, maybe into like halfway through the book or longer. There were characters who were just telling us basic facts of like, Wax is a twinborn, which means he can use these two powers. And it was not like woven into the story in any kind of good way. It was just stated very boringly and was like things that we already know. I was a little bit like, I get that you want to give a little bit of exposition to remind people throughout the series, but this is the fourth book in the second series. I think we've got a handle on it by now. And there are probably going to be people, I know there are people who have only read The Mistborn and haven't explored the rest of the Cosmere. That's one thing. There's probably people out there who started in Era 2, as weird as that might sound. I'm sure that they are there. But, but some the, of this was just Era 2 exposition. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that even when it just came down to the writing or the explaining of things, it felt almost like copy paste like juvenile uh, well yeah just of just like this needs to be said and so it's going to be stated in this exact very clear way just, and we're yeah, just going to throw it simple. in right here because it fits there sure and so you get this kind of like little bit of plot little bit of action and then just like a tagline of like that's how this works yeah i also found the writing of wayne to be a little bit jarring where he almost seemed to be a character of himself in this book at certain points, I don't know. It just seemed to go way over the top with the sort of quirky, you know, cockney character where he didn't feel real all the time anymore. And I haven't really had a problem with his character throughout the rest of the books. It was just this one that I was like, whoa, you really turned Wayne like up to 12. Yeah, he turned up to 12. I think that's in part because of... Wayne's story overall, which is self-doubt. Yeah, maybe and... just because we we'll, we get more parts from his perspective, too. So maybe that's what did it. You also have the problem of the copycat yes. Twinborns who are used against. So you have someone who is pretending to be Wayne, and then he is 
being himself stronger in response mm. and like playing. I a- felt this before we met the copycat, though. I agree. I'm yeah. not saying that that's the only thing. I'm saying that it like it kept amplifying the problem mm-hmm. that could have existed and maybe been like brushed aside or easier to overlook at times because now he's more of a focus. There are things within the world that are referencing him and he is important because of the things he did previously. And so people are, it's all kind of like amplifying, we'll call it the waneness. And that can, and I feel did subtract and and pull back from what it meant to be Wayne. Yeah. And then another thing that we've talked about off mic as well is in Wayne's storyline, the way that his story is sort of supposed to be paralleling his mother's story from the prologue. I think it's yeah, a prologue at the beginning. And how that is another thing that does not seem to be super seamlessly sort of woven in all throughout the book where we see Wayne going back to the story in little ways over time, but it kind of gets dropped in in chunks. Mhm. Where all of a sudden he's like super focused on it and you're like, whoa, wait, what? Oh, okay. We're going back to that story at the beginning. Okay. And then characters will say something. He'll make a reference to the story, but the character he's talking to doesn't know what he's talking about. And so then it just like ends in confusion. But yeah, it just the whole thing is not really smoothly. Like if you were going to do it, those two stories need to be super parallel where you have the mom's story and Wayne's present story sort of running together parallel throughout the book and instead they sort of like crisscross awkwardly and it's not really there all the time but it is some of the time and this is weird to me because we've seen this perfectly executed by Brandon several other places in the epigraphs in both era one And in Stormlight Archive, when you have, you know, the beginning of each chapter dishing out a tiny little sentence Hmm. that is then referencing the chapter itself, but also bringing the entire story. Obviously, that's a completely different convention. And he didn't go for the epigraphs in this book. But I do completely believe that with his talent this could have been woven in a lot more seamlessly. I think that it would have been interesting. And I'm not saying it needs to be done in the exact same epigraph way, but getting chapters that start from Wayne's perspective, beginning with the prologue broken up and like getting a paragraph or a chunk each time we come back to Wayne. And then it's referencing that story within the chapter I feel like that would have been a better way to integrate it because then you just like we tell the story at the beginning and then it shows up kind of randomly in chunks throughout but it's hugely important and the entire thing that Brandon is attempting to do is take Wayne's mother's story and apply it directly to the plot right with like the Mesa ending up being the ship and Every aspect of the mother's story is supposed to directly tie into the plot as Wax and Wayne are moving through the plot. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's almost more important than the epigraphs ever were to like understand exactly what is the connection. Yeah. Like I don't need to know that 
the hero of ages is zazed to like get that single sentence unfortunately i am the hero of ages like that sets off the whole mystery around that and you keep coming back to it in a way that i didn't with the story from wayne's mother it was like okay that's the intro to the book and then wasn't expecting to see it again but it like kept coming back in strange ways but yeah it also like didn't come back enough because i think it just hits the sort of three main points of the story which is like the three people that the hero is trying to defeat but it would have been good if we had gotten some like mental references from Wayne before that of like oh yeah this sort of reminds me of that story my mom told me that one time oh yeah this is still kind of like that oh am I the hero like some mentions before he was just like oh climax this is just like fighting the thing and then you're like wait what oh So I think that is a little bit of structure and a little bit of writing rough cuts. But what about the things that were missing from the story? Yeah, I was really surprised. One, I was super surprised that there was a six-year time jump in between these books, like you alluded to. And I don't really know why it needed to be that long. I don't know if it's because Brandon needs to make the Cosmere timelines line up but i thought that was just a little bit weird and sort of disconnected me from the characters and the plot a little bit because Mm -hmm. when we leave them in bands of mourning we leave them at such an important moment critical yeah suit has just exploded we find out about autonomy's uh chondra ish things we have this impending relationship between Elendel and the Malwish people, right? We've had this huge like first contact situation that's going to need to be immediately explored. And then in this book, not only is it six years later, so we kind of miss out on any of that relationship building, but we don't get any additional relationship building between the Elendelites and the Malwish. It feels just like this big, loose thread that has been developed all through Bands of Mourning, and we really expect it to be followed up on in The Lost Metal, and it is not at all. It's just like dangling there like a loose thread, and it seems weird that Era 3 would pick up on it because Era 3 is going to be like... 80 years in the future or something. We certainly are never going to see the immediate ramifications in Malwish society to meeting the Elendelites, how their trade system... I mean, remember, Renette and Jaxie go on honeymoon to the Malwish, like the southern continent. That's a thing that was happening, but they weren't the first ones to do it. It kind of hinted that they might be the last ones. Yeah. So... I mean, yeah. So we do get some allusions towards what that relationship is like but i would like to see it (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem to be really well developed and then we're definitely not going to see it happen and like you said this is going to have huge implications for not only the malwish nation but for ellendell like how this is going to change your entire society and i think that is probably the best example and my biggest overall problem with the lost metal is that it feels disjointed in 
what my expectations were versus the reality of what we yeah. got. And yeah. you could make a criticism and just be like, Tyler, you shouldn't have any expectations, which is fine. It does just seem like the storylines that were set up in Bands of Mourning specifically were not followed up on. Like we went on a completely different story. And so all of the things that we learned and were being developed in Bands of Mourning just fall flat and are not extended or resolved. And I have two theories on this about the why for this. Mm -hmm. The first one is that it is an inherent problem of both Wax and Wayne. Uh, Decisions that Brandon made early on, and we have to remember that Alloy of Law, the first book, was planned as a break from writing, a little escape from other projects, and developed into Era 2. But Brandon had this concept of taking the periodical from the, the Old West magazines and newspapers, the Alamancer Jack stories, the Nikki Savage stories, and expanding upon that about like, oh, what if we actually dove into the life of one of these heroes from those old periodicals? And it's Wax and Wayne and they're lawmen from the roughs who are going to save the day. That's where he begins. Mm-hmm. And that's also where he ended. And this is my main there's like what i think is the problem is that he made a decision about sticking with these characters at basically the same level that they begin at yes there's moments of magic and like advancement blah 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 but for the most part wax and wayne when we meet them and wax and wayne when we leave them are basically the same basically the same their character arcs are very shallow and they're dealing with the same problems i don't think that their character arcs are shallow i think there's lots of depth there but i think that the problems that they are actually facing are very similar even with this concept of like autonomy is invading and trell and telson is becoming an avatar i think that's all a mirage and basically what we have is the same exact story of two lawmen from the rough who are going to save the day Unlike in Era 1, when each book was a clear setup in the stakes, the power levels, and the responsibility of our characters. Really what we have is just Wax and Wayne are being lawmen, and then Wax and Wayne are being lawmen. And like you said, there's a choice to stick with those two characters, Mm -hmm. where if you wanted to expand the world and expand the problems that are being dealt with, you kind of have to focus on a different character. Because even in this book, Wax and Wayne are not the ones dealing with autonomy. It's Marasi. And so I think if you wanted to make those kinds of larger conflicts more central to the plot, you would have to almost abandon Wax and Wayne entirely because they are not the kind of people that are suited to dealing with that kind of big scale thing, which is fine. It's just hard to follow up with a story like that when Era One is so epic. I agree. It's a problem of the characters, like of the characters' personality yeah. to like be against those type of actions. They are, by definition, both reluctant heroes, people who don't even believe that they are heroes. When one, Wax, is directly speaking to God, who's saying, I need you to be a hero. And yet he's still like, I don't know if I can do it, man. Be like, what? God is telling you there are so Which is kind of what I also appreciated about Wax in this book, though. I liked that he sort of leaned into 
wax and wanes age mm-hmm. and the fact that you can't keep fighting the way that you have been when you're 40 or 50 like it just it's a different ball game even if you're powered it's a different thing i liked that he leaned into that over and over again i just thought that was refreshing to have that kind of humanity in a quote unquote superhero and the fact that yeah wax is reluctant he has done his share of fighting and like the poor guy just wants to settle down with his wife and kids and like enjoy himself who seem great and i want him to also enjoy himself yeah exactly and so that's kind of the interesting aspect of era two is that i was expecting the same type of power increases level increases stake increases and it instead was like a roller coaster almost yeah where you like you take off and you build up but then you have to end basically at the same place that you started from so that the ride can begin anew. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't know, it's not as epic, I guess, is the simplest way of phrasing it. Yeah. And honestly, I would have been fine if Wax in this book had been like, I'm retired. I'm not doing things. But like acts as a consultant, sort of like Mm -hmm. a Sherlock Holmes a little bit of like, I'll do some detective work and like help you figure some stuff out. But yeah, Marassi and Wayne are like the boots on the ground digging into stuff. I feel like maybe that would have given Brandon more flexibility in exploring some of the bigger things. But yeah, I think like you said, it's just not epic enough to follow era one, which is hard to do, to be fair. Certainly hard to do. But then here is the other side of that equation, because what you just said or what you just proposed as a book for which is Wax, the consulting detective. Interesting. Unfortunately, the other half of this book is the most Cosmere and Metacosmere stuff that we've seen anywhere in any of the books. Yes. And so this juxtaposition is really where I bump most against the, I guess, all of Era 2 now, or, or just like it feels disjointed in that, We're getting so much Cosmere stuff. Yeah. We have a literal invasion of Harmony's planet by another shard. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't necessarily feel that way because I'm still connected to Wax and Wayne. And that's where so much of the story is going. And as we said, those two are kind of reluctant heroes. It was very divided. I agree. I was having a really hard time following timelines of like what exactly was happening jumping between wax and wayne going after telson and then morassi with all the cosmere stuff it just felt like a lot it felt messy a little bit so the way i would phrase it is that it was either too complex for the story that was being told or it was nowhere near as epic for the story maybe that I wanted or imagined. And that simply left me in a limbo place, a kind of like halfway happy or I could imagine be like there were so many great moments. I cried a bunch at the <laughs> I just reread the epilogues and I cried during some of those. <laughs> but those moments are then just moments rather than the entire experience. Yeah. And that's where I feel kind of like odd about this book. Yeah, I think also because it's not wrapping up things that were begun, things that we sort of had an appetite for, it didn't 
follow up on and then you had this whole new set of things to pay attention to. So uh, honestly, yeah, I've it, it was so disjointed and Wax and Wayne specifically have so many climaxes, sort of, mm-hmm. where you think it's going to be the climax and then it's not. And they have one last battle, but then it's not the last battle. And then there's another battle, but it's not the last battle. And then there's another battle. By the time we got to the end, I was honestly just kind of like, I guess, like, I just want this to be over. You're like, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. You're, so, Frodo dropped the ring in the fire 35 minutes ago. Yeah, I'm tired now. Yeah. And Tyler so, has made me watch 13 and a half hours of this movie series, and I just need it to be done. A little bit, which was disappointing because I was not as invested in Wayne's death as I would have liked to be. It just wasn't as impactful because I think the pacing was so funky and the organization was so funky. Those are our rough cuts, and I'm sure plenty of people are going to love to complain about our thoughts on yeah. things. So hit us up on all of the social medias. Brooke, tell me about the kind of character arcs. We just want to go through just kind of point by point on our gang of four and catch up with them a little bit. Yeah, let's hit a couple of the important points. Obviously, our main character, Wax, we've talked about how he is a reluctant hero. One of his big uh, character growth moments in this book is that he sort of transcends the grief that has been dogging him over the last couple of books about Lessie and sort of making peace with his lawman of the roughs life versus his nobleman life. And he's kind of at a good place with all of that, which is good to see. And I think it's a good depiction of how that kind of thing works, where it's sort of always there and you keep sort of checking in on it and you're like, yep, still there. Yep, still there. And then one day you go to check and you're like, oh, it's gone. And it might be years, but it just sort of fades away and one day is not there anymore. So I thought that was a really beautiful depiction of that character growth. And then, of course, the big sort of mystery that we're left with at the end is that apparently Wax is now a Mistborn. Yes, I'm going to call this a minor Mistborn because he has ingested some remnants of Laracium from the explosion. And we saw a full bead of Laracium ingested by Elend. Yes. And he became more powerful than even Vin in terms of like straight power. Yes. And I don't think that the amount of metal matters. I think, I it think does. because Ooh, he has ingested Laracium, period, he is a more powerful Mistborn than regular Mistborn in era one. Okay. So hit us up with what you think, because this is a clear line of division. Does amount of metal matter? I think that not only is Wax right now a less powerful Mistborn than anyone from Era 1, even non-major characters, the amount of metal, the amount of Laracium that is ingested, is exactly in proportion to how powerful of a Mistborn you become. Hmm. So he can burn all the metals. I'm not saying he only got... 14 out of 16 or something, (laughs) but he is less able and less capable of using those metals Mm -hmm. than a standard Mistborn from Era 1, leaving aside Ellen, who's clearly more powerful than everyone because he had a full bead. And I don't, yeah, I don't know about that. Okay. 
Excellent. I love it. I would be interested to hear people's thoughts. Let's move over to our second main character, Wayne. Yes. My personal favorite. I loved Wayne. And as I said, cried multiple times. His growth as a character from the beginning was maybe pushed too far. Like you said, uh, maybe getting a little bit of a character of himself Mm -hmm. at some points in this book. But it did return to, you know, deliver a couple of really important things. Yes, he did become one of the wealthiest individuals in Skadrian history. Yep. He used that wealth in ridiculous, but also probably very beneficial ways. His wealth allowed him to become the most experienced slider. Yes, because he can afford to get huge amounts of bend alloy and practice. And that's seemingly all he was doing. Many examples of him using his bend alloy in unique ways. And then we have the final moment. We'll talk about that in more detail as well. He has personal setbacks. Melon leaves at the Order of Harmony, but also clearly breaks up with him. Yeah. And he has great quotes. Like, for example, Melon is a servant of God. So sleeping with her is kind of like going to church. Genius. (laughs) Genius, Wayne. But that like introduces this self-doubt that we haven't necessarily seen from Wayne too much. He's maybe a little bit too much of like a fun-loving, happy-go-lucky type of individual. But he has that dark edge that we've known about stemming from his traumatic stress from the original killing uh, that like set him off on the path to meet Wax and live his entire life. But that like comes back in this book in a much more potent way than Mm -hmm. we've seen before and so then he is of course overcoming that desire to be forgiven be forgiven by the family yeah the moment that i thought was really interesting i forget who it is who says to him it might be um renette who says to him you know are you continuing to go see this girl in person to Mm -hmm. give her money because she wants to see you to be mad at you or is it for you because you feel like you deserve punishment and he's like well no she always says she doesn't want to see me and Renette's like okay so you're just continuing to hurt her every month and this is the way you're quote-unquote atoning and his sort of realization in that moment I think is a huge step of growth for him absolutely But he does regress right at the end, not regress in a huge way, but in the small way of asking Harmony, if I do this, if I sacrifice myself, will I earn forgiveness? And Harmony is like, I don't know how many times and how many people need to tell you this, but you don't need forgiveness. And like that comes from you. So like you've got it if you want it. And finally, there's that acceptance. And with that acceptance, with his sacrifice, he also becomes the person from the gang who is maybe most likely to be remembered going forward. Totally. And I think that's the perfect ending for Wayne. Like he, I believe, will be as memorable as like a spook or a... Yeah. yeah. I thought he was so much like spook with sort of the funny, you know, verbal tics and this person going down in history who is maybe the one that none of us would have immediately chosen as the person who was going to go down in history Mm -hmm. because i keep wondering i could see wax also being mentioned in history books as 
you know, originally a lawman, made a lot of changes to the legal system, the way that police work in the city, then became a senator, you know, notable guy. But I don't see him being a legend like Wayne is going to be, I think. Interesting because, of course, Wax did have that moment of using the bands of mourning, but it happened. Yeah, but almost no in one secret. was there. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so, like, people know about it, but they know about it in the way that something is disconnected, where so many people directly experience the threat on Ellendale and right. then knew, oh, that explosion that went off was done by the guy we built a statue to and then yes, we keep coming exactly. back to the statue and like putting on the new hats yes. and the new quotes on the bottom. Brandon has said that it is going to become a civic tradition in Ellendale to replace the hat, to change the hat. And so, yeah, he's going to become this sort of central, both historical, but also cultural figure in Ellendale. And I don't know that Wax is going to have that same longevity Interesting. Okay. That's that's a hot take. I like it. <laughs> I think that I think you're right. And I'm actually gonna go further. I'm gonna say that Marasi, for things we have not yet seen from her, is going to become more important or more mm. like significant in the history books than Wax. Because Wax oh, is yes. going to die. I agree and with that. His story for the most part, I think, is over. I bet Marasi's gonna be like the first female governor. She's gonna make a bunch of super beneficial changes. Right. She'll be like the first governor to make a treaty with the Malwish or something. Like huge things. Yes. I could see Marasi going down in history like a Abraham Lincoln. I'm sorry, I'm very American. But like you know, she is yeah. one of the people that goes up on the Mount Rushmore of <laughs> Ellendale. Totally. And Wayne's up there as well. And I think it's questionable if Wax is. You'd have Spook. Yeah, I don't, like Lord Miss Van Spook, he's obviously Wax number is. one. But it does seem like Wax is just the sword. And like you don't necessarily remember the sword. You remember the, yeah. the person or the way that a person made you feel. And I think Wayne like brought that to so many people in a more direct way. It is an interesting thing that the, you know, sentence caps sword of harmony is the least memorable or like least exciting person. I mean, you talked about this in our yeah. preparation episode for the Lost Medal. It's just like Wax is kind of boring. He's like kind of He's a stick totally in the mud. boring. Yeah, so why would People remember him. They're just like, they're happy, obviously. The world was saved. Yeah. It's just very different when you put him up next to Vin and even like Kaladin and these big sort of flashy heroes. And then when you hear the Sword of Harmony, you expect another sort of flashy superhero. And maybe this is the point because what you get is, you know, a 50 year old guy who's kind of like, I don't really want to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get a sword. I, I think that this is perfect for Wax and perfect for Harmony as a, a shard. I'm interested to see, we talked about this a little bit, the sort of parallel between Kaladin and Wax's mm-hmm. trajectories. Now I'm like wondering if Kaladin will sort of follow in Wax's footsteps and like grow up to be Wax. Like, will he also sort of outgrow his juvenile desire to like save everyone all the time even if it makes him miserable and get to a point where he's like you know i just want to be happy with like my wife and some kids or like my friends or whatever it is that fulfills kaladin 
hopefully both Adolin and Shallan. Oh, yes. As I said in that prediction episode, I think that the better the ending for Wax, the worse the ending for Kaladin. And yeah, so versa. you think Kaladin's going to die now. Yeah, 100%. Now I am in constant fear for like the next two years that Kaladin is going to die in Stormlight 5 because Wax lived. We always knew this was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked a lot about the dudes. Let's talk about the ladies. Because oh, yes. Marasi from book one to book four, probably my favorite character. She changes the most, exactly. I think. I really enjoyed the arc or the sort of moment that she had in this book where she's reflecting on how much she's changed and all that she's accomplished. And she's accomplished kind of all of her goals. Mm-hmm. And she experiences that moment that we've all heard about where you get to the top and then you're like, this is it? Hmm. What? Like, where Where do I go from here? She's still not feeling really fulfilled, even though she has accomplished everything that she wanted to. She really wants to make a bigger impact. And then the fact that she turns down the ghost bloods and is now on this path towards governor and maybe more is just really fascinating, especially when we consider that in book one, she barely talks at all and seems very meek. Her entire role in The Lost Metal is kind of like the the driving plot point. She is so much the focus and the, the centerpiece around everything in regards to Trell. She actually wraps up one of the big hanging stories, which is what happens to the women primarily, that the set captured in book one yes and she you know has this like weird aside into the truman show that was designed by edward ladrain for the people underneath the caverns and frees those individuals but then it's also the center of autonomy's perpendicularity and using her powers which she originally said were less important or you know barely important at all to effectively stop that invasion single not single-handedly but you know what i'm saying yeah she's the point person like you said she is the person coming into contact with all of these really important big cosmere things she also is in a relationship with a malwish person so yeah she could also be you know one of the first people to sort of forge any kind of bond between these two people I just think for the future of Scadrille, Marasi is it. And we should definitely look for her to be a world hopper later on in the Cosmere. That's my guess. I also want to get Alik on the Great British Baking Show. I feel like that guy is just waiting for the opportunity to get that Paul Hollywood handshake. Alec would do amazing on the Great Scadrian Baking Show. Finally, let's... Toss some love over on our girl Steris. Not that we haven't done it already, but let's just do some more so because Steris, another one of these characters who grows so much, starting point is, you know, basically disliked. There to kind of be disliked. I totally disliked her in the first book. Did not like her at all. Yeah. And in the the first book, you're supposed to kind of see Wax and Marasi as like the item. You know, he's kind of got more of the romantic interest to her. She's the young one. He's the slightly older guy. Oh, so and then Steris is the, the stick in the mud who just is like interrupting things or, you know, she has money, blah, blah, blah. She's the one. Well, that, and she's just so boring. 
until you realize that Steris is the truly great one. Until she's amazing. I love where we leave her with the prospect of this new job, a new purpose that's really making use of her strengths, the things that she thinks of as weaknesses, but that she can put to good use in the service of her city and her country. I think that's really exciting. My headcanon for what happens after the lost metal is that wax becomes a stay-at-home dad they get like a country home or something and wax is just chilling living his life as a stay-at-home dad and steris is going into the city doing her big girl job she's you know just being a total baller okay that is a pretty good explanation of their future i do not dislike it in any way but I really want to bring us back to consulting detective Old Man Wax. Yeah, that's fine. But he's living in the country with his Being kids. a stay-at-home dad and a consulting detective. Yeah, like if you want his expertise, you have to like take the train out <laughs> to the suburbs to go see him. And he is like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to be boots on the ground. You can, you can bring me your evidence and I'll tell you some stuff. That would be a great way to be a consulting. If you can get that gig, take it. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's famous enough. He could definitely rock it that way. Yeah, I think once you save the world a couple of times, there's a lot of customers who are going to come to you for like, find my cat or something. Find my cat. (laughs) From what I know about noir detective films, it's almost always find my lover or like the cheating girlfriend I was going to say, yeah, usually it's a lover scenario. Okay. Let's broaden our perspective, and I just want to list all of our different Cosmere connections. We're going to have entire episodes about one or more of these, but let's just name them so that people can check them off their bingo cards. Yeah. Did you spy? Everybody's going to spy. These are the really obvious ones. And yes, all of this is a setup for our future episodes. This is like where Cosmere Conversations lives. Yes. (laughs) How can we bring in all of these things? If we started to go into full depth right now, it would be a five hour podcast. Or more. Probably more. But this book was jam packed with Cosmere Connections. And we can't let them go without pointing some of them out. For example, Hoyd as the driver, the ferryman. Hoyd popping up everywhere. Having conversations with Wayne. I love that relationship. I want them to be best of friends. Obviously, we know it won't continue in the future, but I'm hoping that, you know, some jokes that uh, Wayne is leaving behind after his death go to Hoyd. And I hope they <laughs> always find him. Like the Silver That's actually Light. a good question. I wonder if Wayne left anything in his will for Hoyd. Oh, I strongly believe that at minimum he left the little pranks for hoyd (laughs) at minimum if there's not some like bigger aspect of the cosmere that's like really important i'm saying at minimum there's like little jokes and tidbits that hoyd just randomly gets and he's like huh from wayne smile on his face and he just has a happy moment and then on with his (laughs) cosmere shenanigans we'll see i guess Obviously, we have Melon. She is going to be the first of Harmony's Chondra to go off-world, so we can expect to see more from Melon in the future. Yeah, she was chilling with a show death? Shodell? Yeah, um, I have that on here as well. We did see some Shodell, which we have not delved into really any non-canon 
things, but now I'm kind of feeling like maybe I should read The Liar of Partnell just to get the background, even if it's not canon, because we did do Aether of Night, which I am really so glad we did Aether of Night. Just like big high five to me. Good job. So glad we did that and made an episode about it for all of our listeners before this book came out. It was really good to have that background, even if some of that is going to change or go away. Yes. And so we'll return to that, maybe do a special episode on like the magic of the liar of Partenelle. And we can take that apart and kind of apply it back to where we think it will take Milan's story in the future. And then the other big one, the ghost bloods. There's so many ghost bloods. Okay. So there was multiple aspects of the ghost bloods that are important to mention, but I think the biggest and most important thing is that they had pure investiture yes. that did not need connection. Right. Not connected to any single individual or any single spirit web. Just pure investiture. An open jar Very of interesting. investiture. Saw it on use multiple times. We'll talk about those all in future episodes. But to me, that concept that they can get pure investiture that's not connected to anything, because remember, even Stormlight is pure investiture, but it's grounded on Rashar. So it's not connected to a person, but it is to a place. And like the they we have said, the more you try Actually, to get a... investiture off of Rashar, the more it becomes like a weight and the heavier it becomes trying to stay there. Do we know for sure that that's true of all Stormlight or is that just the people, invested people? Like the Radiance who yeah. use Stormlight. No, they are bound because of their spren, but even an invested gem mm -hmm. is tied to Rashar. Now, there might be a way to okay. put the investiture in a device that like breaks its connection. In yeah. Some, but it, I don't think it's the same as this jar of pure investiture. Okay. I, I do not think what we saw was, for example, like That's open stormlight. That's interesting, though, because we see Thydekar being so interested in how to get stormlight off world because it will be so valuable mm -hmm. to have this type of pure investiture why would he need that though if they can get the door in jars like this like there's no reason for him to be obsessed with getting stormlight off world well i think that maybe the door is harder to get and the door might not be renewable in the same way that stormlight is like, for example, all mm. you have to do to refuel your Stormlight is just go back to Rashar and all the gems, you know, in a high storm will get their Stormlight yeah. back. But maybe the same is not true of the door or it's more violent or difficult. But I, I think that there is a disconnect. Let us know what you think about this pure investiture, no connection, and which of the magic systems fall into it. Within the Ghost Bloods, of course, we have our Kelsier slash Thydekar, we see him, quote unquote, in the flesh, which is very exciting. Spike through the eye. And everything. And I think there are just a couple of important things that I want to say about Kelsier. A, the vision that he has through that spiked yep. metal eye is akin to a godlike being or a shard. And it says that he can see the individual axie, which is their word for atoms, all around and that the polarity of those axes can be manipulated with the steel push i think that's going to be important in the future the only other thing that i want to talk about kelsier right now is that he 
does not have any Mistborn powers. Yes. All of his experiments to regain his powers have currently failed. So that might be another thing that he is attempting to do. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have Moonlight, who is from Cell. She is a soul stamper. And it sounds like we have some confirmation on who this person is from the recent live stream. We are going to be doing a full episode on all the fun things we learned from the live stream on Patreon. So come on over there to get all of those new words of Brandon. As a soul stamper, Moonlight had a couple of active stamps that they were shown using. One opened a doorway where it did not otherwise exist, and one repaired broken objects. Now, those two were shown as being useful, but maybe not incredibly powerful. I felt like Moonlight's main power was her knowledge. That was the thing she kept presenting to Marasi, like mm-hmm. i know things you don't the ghost bloods know things you don't hey girl come hang out with me we'll be totally awesome ghost blood friends and we can just learn our way through the cosmere would have been a great combo i think but because of the last stamp that moonlight carries we won't well at least in the short term we won't get any type of connection between those two tell me about that last stamp the last one is a soul stamp. It turns her into an Elantrian. And so she completely, you know, forgets who she is. She becomes a different person and runs away, basically. So I'm curious to see if we will continue to see sort of in the background uh, characters trying to hunt down Moonlight and like get her back. Yeah. Twin Soul said that it was his next task that he was going to set out on. For the Ghostbloods, he wanted Marase to be like his mentee. Mm -hmm. But that seems like what he's going to do is to try to find Moonlight and get her to revert to her true form. Don't want to get too deep in the magic system of Cell, but for those who have not read The Emperor's Soul, that's where this magic system comes from. And then she turns herself into an Elantrian, which is obviously from Elantris. I think there's a lot of interesting connections about what is possible with soul stamping, who can do it, how can it be used, and... Obviously, a lot has changed. Obviously, a lot has changed as well. But let's talk about Twin Soul. He is the Aether-wielding character, and so we see a lot of cool stuff from him. He builds a lot of cool stuff, That's different from a lot of what we saw in Aether of Night, where they mostly build, like, armor and swords. Mm -hmm. Twin Soul made a lot of different things, like a ladder and spectacles and a chair and more, like, fine tools type things. Yeah, he even creates spectacles and, and like, uh, different lenses for him to see the amount of delicacy and intricacy of what is possible with Aethers, I think is separate from a lot of the magic systems that we have seen. Now, I don't know if that's because Twinsel is particularly skilled. He's very old. Well, yeah. And so maybe he has just <laughs> he has a lot refined of experience. his technique and a younger person really does just make like a shield and a sword and kind of like hit people with big sticks type of thing. But I, we know that Aether of Night was not originally part of the canon cosmere 
and Brandon is reworking the magic system as he brings it in. So this yeah. is like the reworked version. And we learned a little bit more about it. Again, I don't want to go into it too much because we're going to do a whole episode on it. But we hear the name of one of the Aethers that he is connected to. Silijana? Silijana? Yeah. Maybe this is another soft J. Always a soft J. <laughs> Silajana? <laughs> Silajana is the entity we'll go with, that he is connected to through the Aether. It is woven kind of in his body, and he can communicate directly with this being who is not a shard. It is said by Twinsoul that in their belief system that the Aethers predate the shattering of adenalsium we don't know if that's accurate or not but that is what twin soul believes and the creations that twin soul makes are said to allow silajana to view or see through his creations so i'm wondering if there's like a network of aetherbound people all across the cosmere that are able to communicate and, and kind of view what is happening through the crystals and through these aethers that we haven't otherwise seen yet. Like it could have just been there in the background. Gives me real sleepless vibes Definitely in a lot of ways. something brewing there. And then for our last ghost bloods, we have code names, aka code names are stupid, aka case who is Serene's young cousin from Elantris. If you clocked that one, a plus. She mentions that her twin brother is also on Scadriel, but we don't actually see him on screen. And we then, do see a, another brother. Yeah. Interestingly, there is a character, I think this is in the epilogue. It is, yes. Um, named Delaville, and he's said to be Ayatel's brother. They wear the mask of the southern yes. Scadrians and they grow into their face. They leave their mask on all the time yeah. from the different tribe. I I'm very curious how these different ghost bloods will interact. Will we see any of them or all of them in other situations? Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember that Era 2, especially Book 4, takes place after Stormlight 5. Yeah, that's so, like a fact that I had to keep reminding myself of as I was reading. So we should probably not expect to see any of these characters on Rashar, but Delaville as Ayatil's brother makes the most sense as like someone who maybe is moving from Skadriel to Rashar more often. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of these individuals seem Skadrian bound ghost bloods for That's the most part. That's my question though. Did we have to have a six year break in between Bands of Mourning and Lost Metal because, for example, in those six years, all of these ghost blood characters are on Rashar? experiencing book five mm. and then there has to be enough time for them to get back to Scadriel to be here for the lost metal i think that's that my you question could have said okay i i don't know the answer to that obviously yeah I'm not brandon i think that the question of the cosmere timeline is an aspect that some people pay a lot of attention to and are very detailed on and i would not have cared at all <laughs> if you simply said these characters are going to show up in Stormlight 5, and that happened two weeks before the events of Book 4 in Era 2. Uh -huh. Like, I don't know why we would need six years of time to make that happen 
It could have just been like they arrived last week. No part of this book told me that these individuals like had a long history elsewhere or that they had a long history on schedule. That's just my guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I don't know what it is specifically about six years or if six years was just random and it was just kind of like plucked from the ether or the I mean, ether. yeah, there had to be a reason that he put such a big time gap, but maybe it was a more mundane reason. Anyway, I do want to call out that one other Cosmere connection we have in this book is, I think, a mention of some Iriali mm-hmm. living in Bilming. We have this quote, quote, was it those people with the golden hair living on the east side? There's some kind of fairy creature. I know it. End quote. And what people do we know who have golden hair? That's the Iriali. Yeah. So, see, and this is another point where I sort of reminded myself, oh, yeah, this is after the events of Stormlight 5. Has there been some kind of exodus from Rishar because of whatever events happen? And the Iriali are also the people of, of the, the long, long trail. trail moving from place to place. Yeah. Have some of them or do some of them take the events of Stormlight 5 as like significant moment when they should leave the planet they are on and move to the next one? Question mark? Questions, question mark. questions. Always another secret. To wrap us up, I have a couple of quotes from The Lost Metal because I think that overall... There are so many good moments, so many powerful moments, great character moments, as we've talked about, interesting Cosmere moments, and our biggest curmudgeonness, our biggest scroogeness is really about how all of those things were playing together. Yeah. But if we just look at the big things that happened in The Lost Metal, they're great. Like, there's just a lot of great stuff, and I found myself really enjoying specific moments from The Lost Metal. Hit me with some of your fave quotes. Well, I hope that you will play along with me at times, but not on this first one, because this is Harmony speaking to Wax about autonomy. He says, quote, she, he, they, it varies, doesn't like engaging other gods directly. We call them shards, by the way. Autonomy is trying to outcompete the others by filling the Cosmere with versions of herself like an extremely invasive plant moving into another ecosystem and strangling the local varieties, end quote. Great description. Yes, perfect description of what is going on. And I think it is also a perfect example of the contrast between odium and autonomy and their like mechanisms of attempting to take power. Odium, very traditional, just like, I'm a big, strong man. I'm going to go kill the things I don't like. And then there will only be one instead of 16. That didn't seem to work out for at least Raysa Odium. Autonomy and this concept of like an invasive plant strangling Mm -hmm. the local shards and the shard power by creating an overwhelming number of avatars. That's a play. That's a a big cultivation-esque play. Like I got Oh, because they're talking about plants. Well, the, yeah. the plants thing did throw me towards cultivation a little bit, but just like, yeah, that's a that's a long term yeah. play rather than the very like direct uh, conquest that I may have expected from like the Cosmere's big We got a lot of really interesting details about autonomy, and we're gonna do a full episode about autonomy and harmony and like all of that big cosmic stuff that we learned. I'm really excited to dive into that. 
Could you read this next one? This is from everybody's favorite, Wayne. Quote, everybody knew there was things you could take and things you couldn't. Wax's unused pocket watch, fair game. The watch Lessie had given him, off limits. People's souls, way off limits. End quote. A great summary of the philosophy of Wayne. Like, that's a good dude overall right there. It is good to see that he at least, you know, has some parameters on his uh, selective acquisitions. I mean, yeah, I feel like he's got great parameters. Like, you don't mess with stuff that's really important to people. Yeah. You don't mess with people's souls. That is a key one. And if it's something that they don't really care about, unused pocket watch, who's going to notice? Quick trade, everything's fine. Then we have this situation with death marsh and it starts with him bursting into the police headquarters and coming in maybe like a little extra hot with uh, some purpose behind his deathfulness first the mayor has this to say quote i'm not of your religion death is not a religion iron eyes said it is a fact end quote now as a simple quote that's very good but Also, I just love this idea of Marsh's role in the world and like what he is doing and when he is doing it. That scene where he is using his power to like crush a gun in front of everyone Mm -hmm. and demonstrate how far above. That's all play. That's all drama that is designed to give our heroes a moment to escape. And he is sometimes like allowed by Harmony, extra invested by Harmony to usher people into the beyond so that he can like play the role of death yeah but it is also a play so it's such a weird thing to see marsh in this caught in between these like godlike situations or you know death-like situations but he's also still an individual he's also still marsh and kind of bound in a mortal way unlike kelsier unlike zays yeah he is just such an interesting individual and I, I liked basically all the moments that we got with marsh and then here's the big one in terms of wayne's character and i think that you know probably the the summary or the the big climactic moment for wayne happens earlier than his actual climactic moment it's in that fight between his copycat the person who's trying to imitate wayne and he is being shot up with a bunch of coins and pushing through those coins allowing them to like rip through his body giving wax enough time to swoop in and make the final move but he has this to say in that moment quote yeah he muttered and the pain eh, she said with a shrug you get used to getting exploded now don't you not that pain he whispered ain't nothing that can hurt me more than life already has you can't kill me i'm already dead i've been dead for years sister end quote now incredibly dark on the one hand, and also an important focus on what Wayne is dealing with that I don't believe I realized until this book. Yeah, definitely. That his the depth of his pain is actually so much greater than I would have first conceived. Yeah. Because not just the emotional pain, but the way that he lives his life is in a constant state of being in pain. He literally hurts himself or makes himself sick, makes himself tired so that he can store up health. Mm. So he's in pain yeah. every single moment that he's or storing at least health. discomfort. He's in discomfort yeah. or in some type of pain 
every moment he's storing health. And then he uses that health to go get hurt and heal from it, which then he immediately has to start storing health again. So his only experience, of course, carrying forward from the emotional pain that started his journey is of pain. It's just a lifetime that he has been living of constant, constant pain. Yeah, that's true. And the the physical mixed with the emotional didn't necessarily hit me until this book. And now looking back, it seems, you know, so much more potent. Um, and I just felt that understanding that was really important. Why you, why I really then connected with the line about Wayne being the shield mm. for the sword yeah, is because the main job of the shield is to just get hit by things. Yeah. To just be in pain. And like absorb. Absorb, exactly. And so Wayne is just constantly absorbing and being empathetic and just all of this is allowing him to become something far better than this copycat version uh, that is trying to take him down. I have a couple of funny Wayne quotes if we want to lighten it up. Yeah, let's lighten it. And, and Wayne is great at doing both of those things, reminding of, reminding us of the seriousness and the lightheartedness. Will you be my Wayne to my Marasi? Oh, I'd love to. Quote, how many idiots left? He asked. Eleven, she said. That's higher than I can account. Unless you're doing shots in a drinking contest, Marasi said. Damn right, he said. They have such a good... Like, I, I really wanted the Wayne and Marasi story to continue. And I'm very sad that it didn't. Yeah, they have some really good moments of banter that I think are better than Wax and Wayne because Wax would just be like, hmm. One more funny one. Read this one for me. Love this one. Quote, adults were supposed to be able to wear what they wanted. So why did so few choose sparkles? End quote. So true, Wayne. So true. I hope that I make Wayne proud with the amount of sparkles that I choose to wear. Yeah, and I hope that some people eventually swap his bronze hat for a nice sparkly Ooh, one. Oh, yeah, like a sequined fedora. He'd love that. Okay, and this last one is sad again. <laughs> okay, just going out on the sad note. Yeah, I like to end on a bummer. <laughs> Great. No, because I feel like this is what is actually the most powerful thing about Era 2 and what's possible on Skadriel is the cross connections that are possible between characters and between moments that we remember as readers. And so this happens as Wax is going up into the elevator slash tower to get Telson, and he has to kill dozens and dozens. Yeah, fighting up the tower. Yes. Yeah. And when that ends, he says this to God, quote, this wasn't an adventure. It was a massacre. I'll finish the job, but don't ask me again. Find yourself another sword. You don't know how this feels. In reply, he was given a distinct impression, almost like a memory implanted directly into his mind. An exhausted, overwhelmed man lying broken on an ashen street in front of a shattered city gate, surrounded by death. End quote. Yeah, this moment was maybe the best moment of the book for me. I reread this passage maybe like three different times and then just sat staring into the middle distance, like <laughs> contemplating it. It's so it's just a perfect encapsulation of Wax's perspective. Mm -hmm. The difference between him and like a Kaladin sort of figure going back to that reluctant hero type mentality. The fact that 
this whole series started out as like a fun adventure. Yeah, the Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, and Wax is very clearly like, I'm here for the adventure, not the killing part. And then the reminder, not only for Wax, but for me as a Mm -hmm. reader, that says has this past. Like, I forgot about the most epic sazed scene that he describes or like implants in this moment. And I was just immediately taken back to it. That reminder that, oh, yes, this person is not just God. Mm -hmm. This person has a history of being mortal and has experienced honestly much worse than what Wax has just experienced. And so feeling it from both sides the perspective of Wax of like, hey, man, don't ask me to do this. And then also the perspective of Sazed, like, don't be a freaking baby. Like, you have no idea, you little child. <laughs> and it it might have been that dismissive. But I think that... Really- I'm sure it was more compassionate of than course, that. And he was just saying, hardly. like, actually, I do understand because I've been there. He was being more compassionate than me. Yes. But I'm sure there was a little niggling of just like... Oh, you freaking human. You just don't get it. <laughs> it's tough to be a human, but it's also tough to be a god. What I think is so great is that description and that experience that you and I both had. And I think that I every reader will have when they've invested that time and they have because I not only remembered that moment back to book number two when Zazed is fighting on the wall, a huge moment of the story, yes. But I remember you and I and other people talking about that moment as even bigger and more important than I read about it on the page. It is Zay's entire life. Yeah. It is all of his metal minds. Every moment that like we were just talking about with Wayne, giving up health, giving up speed, giving up eyesight, giving up all of the things so that he could then fill his metal minds Every single one of those metal mines is drained in this event of just death and chaos and sacrifice. And in which the woman that he loves is killed, BT dubs. And that feeling, that emotion, all of that can then be like ping ponged through everything else we've experienced through Zay's ascension, becoming a harmony, back down to wax, understanding his perspective, back up to harmony, back down to wax. And you just get this something that I don't know is possible anywhere else. Like I I don't know of a situation where there was a callback that was that impactful for me as a reader. Like it's a small, that's, you know, whatever, two sentences. But I, I can't honestly recall another situation where just instantaneously I knew how I felt and I knew how I, I knew how Zazed felt and I knew what he was going through and what he was trying to communicate and then what Wax must have then understood instantaneously of just like everything that you've been through, I've been through as well. And we are doing this terrible, terrible thing together. And that I think is the best thing that can exist with these different eras of Mistborn is that you can get these connections that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Yeah, the resonance of the depth of history and time that you don't typically get in any book series, really, because you have to put a lot into it, both as a writer and as a reader. And we've 
put some time into it as readers and as hosts. We hope that everyone listening has had a great time, that you enjoyed The Lost Metal. Faults though it may have, I still really enjoyed it. Enjoyed this conversation. We will be returning for many dives back into Mistborn Era 2. And until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. 